from you this morning, whether you're here in the room or watching online. I'm thankful that you're here today. Um, I know that there is really no appropriate, probably is the, is the word I'm thinking of, appropriate way to honor and recognize uh, and express appreciation for uh, Kevin and Carrie and Carrie's willingness to share a part of their journey with us, the vulnerability and transparency that that takes. Um, and I know that they're not, they definitely would, would want life to have been played out a lot of different ways uh, as she shared. Uh, but I do want to, in a small way, at least try to acknowledge uh, our appreciation. Kevin and Carrie are two of my heroes, faith heroes, and uh, the journey that they continue to walk on. I'm deeply grateful for both of you and uh, your willingness <clears throat> and your commitment to keep walking in the midst of unimaginable grief. And so I'm going to ask if you would just to join me in thanking Carrie for sharing uh, what she shared. Um, I also, I'm going to pray in just a minute. I want to ask, too, if you would be praying. Uh, you may notice our crowd is, seems a little different this morning, and that's because we have about almost 40 people, teenagers and adults that are gone on a retreat this weekend, and they're coming back this evening, and so I want to ask if you would to be praying for them as they finish up that retreat today uh, and head home later this afternoon. Thankful for their time away, uh, for them to have an opportunity to grow <clears throat> in their faith and to experience what we just sang about, that uh, when we taste and when we see that the Lord is good, this, the other part of that verse is, blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. And so part of that, that's part of what we're doing <clears throat> today as well. So as you know, as is obvious already from our time together this morning, <clears throat> we're in this series thinking about our, our spiritual and our emotional and our, our mental health. And as a part of this conversation, really we're just trying to have honest dialogue about things that are not often discussed in church um, for whatever reason. And, and so, so we're having some hard and some heavy conversations uh, about things like doubt and grief today anxiety next week, depression, we'll finish out this series in a couple weeks, and, and I just want to name up, up front, you know, that I know these conversations are heavy, you know, you come and you may feel like, man, this, like, you know, this is a hard, kind of a hard topic and a hard thing, and, you know, maybe you found yourself uh, with tears in your eyes as you're listening to Carrie's testimony, um, that's why we're doing it, because we, we know that we need to have the conversations that so many of us feel and experience, and so I just want to name up front and recognize that that's a part of what we're doing, um, and there's a lot to process, a lot to think about, but I'm thankful that you're here, uh, thankful that people are watching online now, today, and will watch later, <clears throat> and so uh, however you've in, in, engaged in this, I want to thank you for doing that. I want to remind you, too, that we're going to continue the conversation after worship uh, during this series. We're staying in here and having a panel discussion about each of these topics. Last week's discussion was really rich on the topic of doubt, uh, and so I want to encourage you to stay. We'll just take a short break after worship is done and kind of get the stage set up and, uh, and dive in a little deeper into this, this topic of grief today, uh, and you'll get to hear some, some <clears throat> answers to some questions that you may have, and so please make plans to stay as part of that. I know Chris has prayed already, but I want to I say another prayer uh, just as we enter into our time in God's Word. So let's do that. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we're again thankful for a few minutes to open your Word together, to study, and to lay our hearts before you as we think about our lives 
<clears throat> the journey that each of us are on, the experiences that we have, um, the experiences that we witness other people have and that they walk through. Uh, today, God, we ask as you, uh, as we gather here around your word that uh, you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see uh, so that we might live in the way you want us to live. We pray <clears throat> in the name of our brother and our friend and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the church said, amen. So in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us about a group of people. And this chapter is sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith, like the Hall of Fame, but in the Bible, the Hall of Faith, right? Which is interesting if you start reading through the list of people, because as, as, though, as they live their lives, they are not always the perfect models for how to live lives of faith, right? They're, they're, they're not always perfect perfect at living out their faith, which just turns out is kind of the point. Faith isn't about being perfect. Faith is about continuing to place your complete trust in God in the midst of your life, continuing to walk with God in the midst of whatever happens or whatever it is that takes place. And so in Hebrews 11, there's this list of people, this hall of faith, and their stories show up all throughout the pages of Scripture, but here they're listed together. And one of these people that Hebrews 11 mentions is a guy that we actually talked about in great detail last week, a guy named Jacob. And I want you to listen to what Hebrews 11 says about Jacob. We're just going to focus on one verse primarily this morning. And I want you to listen to this one verse. This is what it says. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. This verse is summarizing an event that happens in Genesis 48 that you can read about in greater detail on your own if you're interested. But Jacob's earlier life had been marked by anything but faith. And we talked about again about this last week. He was always scheming to gain advantages for himself. But at the end of his life, he'd given up all of that, all of his scheming, all of his attempts to kind of con people into doing things he wanted them to do. And he had learned over the course of his life to fully rely on God's faithfulness and trust. So he blesses his grandsons, bestowing upon them. And he's identified as a person of faith because he bestows upon this generation that's living after him a future that God has promised to him back in Genesis, but that he, that he had not seen with his own eyes. So he's, he's promising this, this future that God had, had promised to him. He's blessing these grandsons and saying, this is what, I'm gonna, what God is going to do, though he had never seen that for himself. He had never gotten to see it in his own lifetime. And so he's commended for his faith. That's what's going on in this statement. His, his faith is commended because he does this. But that is actually not what I want you to pay attention to from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. For today, I want us to focus on what the writer says he was doing when he blessed Joseph's sons. It says he was leaning on the top of his staff. At the end of his life, Jacob is leaning on the top of his staff. Now, you could read this <clears throat> and you could think, well, of course he's leaning on the top of his staff. He's an old man by now and he needs to stay steady. He's maybe a bit wobbly. He needs to keep his balance. And so he has his staff there. And that might be true. 
But if you recall the story of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, which again we looked at in detail last week as he wrestles with God through the night. And while he's wrestling with God, you'll recall that God touches Jacob's hip. And when Jacob walks away from that encounter, not only does he receive a new name, but he's limping. He had an encounter with life, and he would never be the same again. He would walk with a limp for the rest of his life. And all of us, I think, in one way or another, for different reasons, know what this is like. You know what it's like to walk away from some experience in your life that just didn't go like you imagined it going. And you walk away with a limp. You have an experience, a life-changing experience. You lose something. You lose someone. Life doesn't play out the way that you thought it might, and you have been changed as a result of that experience. Maybe through your experience, your world is thrown into a tailspin, and maybe it's really a serious experience that you have. Maybe it's what might, what, what might be considered a less serious experience, but it still has a significant impact on you. You didn't see it coming, and it came anyway, and it's left you feeling a little wobbly, a little unsteady, and so you're needing to steady yourself, and you're left walking with a limp, and I want to use this picture of Jacob holding on to the top of his staff as he blesses Joseph's sons as a metaphor, as a way for us to think this morning about what it looks like to live with grief. And what many of you have experienced and have discovered is that grief is not something that you work through or that you, you get through and then you just leave it behind. It's a journey. Right? So, many, so many of us, church, are carrying around so much grief. I would venture to say that grief is one of the most underrated emotional processes. Right? I think it's not given enough attention. We are aware of grief that happens as a result of death, but there are also other kinds of grief that play out in our lives. It's not one thing. It does come from the death of a loved one. But grief is any time that anything is lost. Grief can be experienced when a season of your life comes to an end. A marriage comes to an end. Through divorce or through death. Grief can be experienced when graduation of a child happens and they finish that season of their life. Grief can actually happen on the first day of school for a parent, right? As that, that child walks into the school and now a parent who thought this was kind of the focus of their life, right? But now this child's walking into the school and it signals in them that something is changing. A season is coming to an end and a new season is beginning. And that feeling that you feel when that moment happens, you dismiss as maybe something other than grief, but it's okay to acknowledge that it's also grief. I remember years ago now when Lana and I moved from Huntsville where we lived to Kaufman. And I've probably told this story in some way or another over the years at another point, but we're, we're packing up the U-Haul and this church that we had served for almost 10 years uh, has come to help us pack up this U-Haul. And many of them have left and it's just us and our 
parents and our you know kids and a, a friend, a couple, uh, two two couple friends that were going to drive from Huntsville to Kaufman with us, bringing extra cars and things like that that we needed some help with. And I go back into the house. We we had total peace about moving to Kaufman to come and serve here. And I'll go back into the house to close, you know, make sure we didn't forget anything and to kind of pick up any last-minute things and then to close the door and to walk out to the U-Haul and to drive off and to come be here with you. And as I step back into the house, unexpectedly, out of nowhere, I lose it. And I am a complete mess. I just, I start, we, I, I start weeping. And I, it was kind of just didn't, and I didn't know where it came from. It just kind of overwhelmed me. And then about that time, my dad walks in behind me and catches me. I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, kind of get straightened up before anybody sees me. He catches me in this, in this moment. And as I've reflected on that since that day, right, that, that those kind of things happen to all of us all the time where something comes to an end. This was the house we had brought you know, three of our four children home too. This is a place where we had served and given our life to, and it meant something. And it was an important moment that I needed to acknowledge, and I hadn't really acknowledged it yet, that it was okay to be grieving the ending of one thing and the beginning of another thing. You can experience grief in a moment where you thought you're right, you thought life was going to play out one way and it happened a different way. Grieving an imagined future, right? This future that you've, you've pictured in your head and then something happens and now that future is not going to play out the way you thought. And of course, there's been this collective grief over the last couple of years. And all of the sort of unprecedented season that we lived it through as a planet with a pandemic, and during that time, though many of us don't want to think about those years anymore, during that time, life changed suddenly. People were tired. We lost a lot of things. We lost time. There were students who didn't get to experience a graduation or a, an event in their life, weddings that were put on hold or that were, you know, had to happen with fewer people than originally were played. There was all sorts of, like, changes that were abrupt and that took place. Opportunities for kids. We lost experiences. We lost relationships as a result of people who may have disagreed with how we handled or how people handled the, the season that we lived through, right? There's, there's all this, this collective grief that we also feel. It's not just when we go through a pandemic, it can happen with an event, a shared event, or a community goes through a difficult event or a difficult experience, and there's this sort of collective grief. And so many of us are carrying around grief. In one way or another, we, we all have lost something or lost someone. We have all been left walking with a limp. Fifty years ago, there was a, a popular book written by a lady named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. The book is called On Death and Dying. And in her book, Kubler-Ross says that there are five stages of grief, and she, she names them as this, denial, anger, Bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now, you may not know about this book, may not have ever read the book, but you have likely heard of the stages of grief because it's had such a massive influence on our culture and had a massive influence on how people think about grief. Her book came to, to be known 
to describe the stages of grief, but really what she was describing was the stages of dying. And the challenge with this has been, again, that over the years, people have talked about these these stages as something you sort of get through, right? The way to get through grief is that you have to walk through each stage, that you have to go through denial and then go to anger and then bargaining and so on. The only problem with this is that mental health professionals now say we misunderstood Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and that grief is not linear in the way that people have often talked about grief. It's not that you walk from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E and then you finally arrive at the end. Right? You don't walk through these stages one at a time and then poof, you're done with grief forever. It's, you waved your magic wand and you arrived at a final destination. And you get to move on with your life. That's not the way that it works. And one, one of the books that sort of speaks to this is a book by a lady named Megan Devine. That, this book actually is on the resource table, if it's not already been picked up, uh, that we have in the foyer. We've made a resource table. We've purchased a bunch of books on all the topics that we're talking about in this series and made them available to you for free uh, if, you want one, if one of them catches your eye or it seems to pique your interest. And, and one of the books that's back there is this book by a lady named Megan Devine. And her book is titled, It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And in her book, she actually talks about Kubler-Ross's book from 50 years, I think it written in like 1969 or something like that. And I love what she says. It's kind of a long quote, but I'm going to read the entire quote because I think it's a really important kind of way to think about what we're talking about this morning. Megan Devine says, Kubler-Ross identified five common experiences, not five required experiences. Her stages, whether applied to the dying or those left living, were meant to normalize and validate what someone might experience in the swirl of insanity that is loss and death and grief. The stages of grief were not meant to tell you what you feel or what you should feel and when exactly you should feel it. They were not meant to dictate you are doing your grief correctly or not. They were meant to normalize a deeply not normal time. They were meant to give comfort. Dr. Ross's work was meant as a kindness, not a cage. And the unfortunate thing that has happened since the original book on death and dying was written and published and sent out into the world was that these five stages of grief have become so widely accepted and commonly known and then kind of reinterpreted by different people that they have become more like a cage than a kindness in many cases. And it became like a cage again because people would beat themselves up. Maybe you have done this. You've beat yourself up when you experience grief because you're not getting through it fast enough by your own measurement or by someone else's measurement. Why don't they just get over it already? Something that was intended to describe a common experience that people might have during a season of loss, of loss of, any, of a variety of different things, became like a checklist, right? You understand what I'm saying? You're making sense? So stages, and stages can feel helpful because in a lot of ways, stages function like mile markers. And so people liked sort of this idea that there was maybe something that I could kind of move from point A to point B. Think about a mile marker. When you're on a road trip, 
going down the highway, mile markers tell you where you are on the journey and maybe even how much time you have left on your journey. And we, so we like mile markers. So people kind of gravitated to this idea and thought, oh, good, stages of grief. Now I know where I am on the journey and now I know how far I have to go. We want to feel better, and so we're wondering how long will all of this go on. And so you ask questions like, why am I still struggling with this? Why does this still hurt so bad? Why am I back to denial when I should be at the anger stage, right? These are the kind of questions I've heard people ask, and maybe you have too. But what Megan Devine is saying is that the problem with mile markers is that it can make you feel like you're doing grief incorrectly, But it's not linear. It's not going to always follow one specific path for every single person. So the the stages have become so ingrained in the way people think about grief that many people have accepted it as gospel truth when it's neither the gospel nor the truth. It's not true that everybody experiences those stages, and there are more stages probably than that as well. And it's not good news that as, as people have found themselves working through their own situation and experiences that they never come to a point where they fully accept or arrive at a final destination. So what if instead of getting over it, we paid attention to what our bodies were experiencing? What if instead of getting over it, we live with it? What if, what if instead of getting over it, we, we talk to someone? We find some help. One of the things, I just want to be blatantly clear about this, that I hope to normalize through this series is that therapy is okay. And that sometimes that is the thing that a person needs. And we need to normalize that and talk about that openly and honestly and acknowledge that sometimes we need help. One of the most helpful things that my therapist that I see and meet with has ever said to me is to stop saying, get over it. He said, one of the most damaging things we can say to ourselves and to other people is to just get over it. What if instead of get over it, we just paid attention to what we were experiencing? We learned to walk and live even if it meant walking and living with a limp. Jacob walked, used his staff, and continued to live with the limp. But here's what I want you to know. Eventually, his, his limp, his staff, became a minor character in the story. Still a character, still a part of the story, but it's not the detail that gets the, the primary focus at the end of his life. He lived through experiences and continued on the journey. And grief is something that all of us have experienced or will experience. And what I love about the Bible is that the Bible is honest about that. The Bible doesn't avoid any of these topics that we're talking about in this series. And God is certainly acquainted with grief. It isn't long into the story of the Bible in Genesis chapter 6 that we see God grieving over the fact that the thoughts of humans always seem to be toward evil and violence all the time. Genesis chapter 6, we see this play out. A little further into the Old Testament, Isaiah 63, we see God reflecting as God has led his people through all of these challenging situations, right? Led the people out of Egypt, led them into the wilderness and provided for them in the wilderness. And yet God grieves 
Because time and time again, Israel, because that's who they are, is people who struggle and wrestle with God. Time and time again, they're rebellious and they turn away. In the Old Testament book of Hosea, not not a book that maybe all of us have read, but I encourage you to do that at some point. It's almost in the book of Hosea like we get like this sneak peek into God's journal if God had a journal. Right, this journal that reveals God's heart. In in Hosea chapter 2, we see God grieve as a spouse who has been betrayed by an unfaithful spouse. In Hosea 11, we see God grieving as a parent that grieves over their child that has made choices and decisions that are harmful to them and their future. In the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about God's spirit being grieved. And the way that Paul talks about this and says that he says that God's, God is grieved when God's people, right, when we are divisive and when we go and do and say things that tear one another down instead of build one another up, when we choose to imitate the world rather than imitating Christ. This is the place in Ephesians, the beginning of Ephesians 5, when he says, be imitators of Christ, be imitators of God. God is well, well acquainted with our grief, and the Bible doesn't avoid talking about this human experience. And of all the things that Scripture provides for us, maybe one of the greatest, and Carrie mentioned this in her testimony, we sang about it in multiple songs that we sang this morning, the greatest gift that the Bible provides for us when we experience seasons of life that lead to grief is hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, this is what Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I read these words at almost every funeral that I do. Paul is definitely talking about death. But I do not think that his words only pertain to death or the the grief that is produced as a result of death. And I want you to notice as you think about what we just read, that Paul says, he doesn't say we don't grieve. He says we grieve with hope. Those are very different things. And all too often, maybe you have made the mistake of saying something, or someone else has made the mistake of saying something like this, to you, right? We, we've, we've communicated sometimes directly or indirectly that, well, we don't grieve, right? We just, just get over it, move on. Why are you still the way that you are? 
Why are you still struggling with this? Paul says we grieve, but we grieve with hope. We grieve with this sort of hopeful expectation that whatever loss we experienced in life, we believe that Jesus is alive. We believe that Jesus is alive. We believe that Jesus died and then came back to life. This is what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. That he defeated death and that he rose again on the third day. And what this provides, what Jesus' death and resurrection provide, we understand, right, is hope. But really more than hope. They provide assurance, a guarantee, a promise that what happened to Jesus will also happen to you and to me. And it will certainly happen over death, but it also will happen in other situations in our life. Hope, a hope in Jesus, church, has, has the power, has power over everything or anything that you will experience in this life. Some of us will leave experiences that we have in life walking with a limp, and we may walk with a limp for the rest of our life. But even if you're walking with a limp, I want you to know that because of Jesus Christ and the hope that is provided, right, that that gives you confidence that what you experience in this life can be lived through because you know and can have assurance that resurrection is always on the other side. Resurrection is always on the other side of whatever experience with death or any of death's friends or allies comes into your life. That in Christ, resurrection, renewal, hope are always on the other side. And that is good news. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And we, we think about these words from Psalm 34. And God, I pray that you will help us to taste and see that you are good. Help us to be the people, the blessed people who take refuge in you. Knowing that in you we find the hope that we need. That your death and your resurrection do not prevent us from having to experience grief or loss or pain or suffering or anything else that might create grief in our lives, but that your death and resurrection promise that you get the last word over all those things. And Father, we pray this morning that your spirit will bring comfort to those among us who are in the midst of grief that your spirit will prepare us, those of us who will experience it in the days and weeks and years ahead, that we, be, we will be a people that will be deeply anchored in Christ, that our foundation will be built on Christ alone so that when the storms come, our house will still be able to stand. We're thankful, Father, for the stories of faith that are in this room and in the lives of people that we all know who have, have their testimony is reflective of that kind of story. That they continue to live through the experiences, walking with the limp when necessary, but continuing to walk with you each step of the way. We're thankful for those 
people in our lives, those, those people in our lives who are our own hall of faith. And we're grateful that we have those witnesses to look to and to be encouraged by. Father, we pray as we continue our conversation here in a few minutes that you'll be among us working in the midst of these conversations, not only today, but in the weeks ahead, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing another song before our shepherd's prayer.